Thanks, Drew. Well, good morning. Well, I don't know about you guys, um, but 2020 hasn't really gone the way I planned for it to go. If, you know, if you're in the same boat, if, you know, 2020, first of all, let me ask, if 2020 looks exactly like you put in your planner at the beginning of the year, raise your hand. Okay, if it doesn't look like that, raise your hand with me. Okay, now look around. We are in this together, right? We're, we might not all be in the same boat, but at least we're all going through the same storm together. You know, your circumstances might look different than mine. In fact, we were scheduled to board a plane on February 1st to head to our home on the other side of the world. And as you can see, things have gone a little differently than we planned because we're still here. Um, and maybe sometimes, like me, it might feel like nobody is actually steering your boat anymore. Uh, that's, that's kind of how I felt at times during the last several months. And, um, but my wife and I, Stephanie, and uh, a couple of our friends have been going through a study on uh, the 23rd Psalm over the last couple of months. And God has really used that study to just calm my heart a little bit to comfort me through these weird times, and so I wanted to look at it together with you this morning. And just as a reminder that in 2020, even in 2020, we still have a shepherd. He's still leading us, and we can trust the shepherd. And so, now last week, uh, Pastor John took us through Revelation 4 and 5, and when we looked at those chapters, we saw that God is majestic, right? We saw his majesty. We saw his glory. We saw, we looked at some of the transcendent nature, you know, the God above all. He is creator God. He is the king who is enthroned among the 24 elders. Um, He is the Lord of all. But today we're going to look in Psalm 23 at, and King David, who is the psalmist here, he is a man who has seen the highest of highs, and the lowest of lows. And he writes here in Psalm 23, verse 1, he says, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. David says, He is my shepherd. Is he creator? Yes. Is he king? Yes. Is he Lord of all? Yes. But he's also personal to me. He is my shepherd. He leads me. He provides for me. He walks with me. And then the second half of that verse says, I shall not want. And that can also be translated, I have all that I need. Or maybe, um, what more could I want, right? Because the Lord of all, the King above all, the creator of the universe is my shepherd, and he gives me all that I need, what more could I want? That's what David's saying here, with him as my shepherd, I want for nothing. What more could I want? Now, there are a lot of shepherds that sometimes we choose to follow, right? That we we put ourselves under them for security, and and that might be, you know, people. It might be um, circumstances. It might be a certain thing that we feel like we need. But Jesus actually calls out these other shepherds in John 10. And John 10 is a great uh, companion passage to Psalm 23 because uh, you know, the people who would be hearing Jesus when he, was, when he was on earth, walking on earth, 
um, they would have known, these, the, his Jewish listeners would have known the 23rd Psalm by heart, intimately. They would have known that David is talking about God as their shepherd. And then Jesus expounds on that, and he says, you know, the shepherd in Psalm 23, that's actually me. And then he continues to tell us more about that, and, and he gives us insight into these other shepherds that we sometimes place ourselves under. John 10, starting in verse 11, it says, Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd gives his life for the sheep. But a hireling, those other shepherds, he who is not the shepherd, one who does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees. And the wolf catches the sheep and scatters them. The hireling flees because he is a hireling and does not care about the sheep. So Jesus calls them here in verse 11 through 13, he calls them hirelings, right? And he says, they don't care about you. And then actually earlier in the chapter in verse 8, Jesus calls the, these false shepherds a little harsher uh, names. He calls them thieves and robbers. And so they're hirelings, they're thieves and robbers, they're false shepherds. And following them actually robs us of the second half of Psalm 23, verse 1, I shall not want. Because when when the Lord is not our shepherd, we are led to places that are lacking. We are led to places where we continue to need. Because there is no shepherd that can lead us like Jesus. Jesus is the only shepherd that can lead us like this. No politician, no fad, no pastor, even the best pastor in the world, which we have right here, can't lead us like Jesus can lead us. If we, play, if we make them our shepherd in place of Jesus. No organization, um, no social media, social network, no um, reputation can lead us like Jesus. And then um, Jesus is the only shepherd that we, can, that we can trust. And I want to look today at three reasons why we can trust the good shepherd. First one, we can trust the good shepherd. We can trust the shepherd because he leads us to rest and restoration. Let's look at verse 2 and 3 of Psalm 23. It says, He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside the still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. So David says here, He leads me, or He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. Now, green pastures, still waters, that, that sounds great, right? Why, why wouldn't we want to go into green pastures? But this word makes always sticks out to me. He makes me lie down in green pastures. Um, have you ever had to be forced to rest? I think about my kids when, when they were little. If you've been around little kids around nap time, you understand this. Um, it doesn't matter how active they've been, you know, how, they might have gone swimming all morning and, you know, they're so tired that while they're eating their lunch, they're actually falling asleep. Have you ever seen a little kid do that? They'll take a bite and then they start to doze off before they swallow. And then you ask them, hey, do you want to take a nap? What's the answer? No. Yeah. Why do little kids hate naps when we adults love naps? Um, I don't know, but it shows me that the kids sometimes, they don't understand when their body needs rest, right? They need rest, we can all see it, but they, they don't understand that. And, you know, sometimes we can be the same thing with spirit, we can be the same way with spiritual rest. 
Even though the good shepherd is leading us into rest and he's saying, you need this, we can fight against him. And he has to make us to lie down in green pastures. You know, just managing work and school and family and home and just life in general, it can, it can make us tired, right? Sometimes we don't even know when we need rest or how to get it. Now let me take a quick poll here. Um, how many of you would admit, would call yourself a control freak? Anybody? I'm going to put, or we're going to have a, a definition up on the screen in case you need help. Now nobody point out your mother-in-law or anything like that. This is just your own personal confession. Control freak, a person having a strong need for control over people or situations. Now before I read that definition, I really didn't think I was a control freak. But after I read it, I thought, you know what? There are times that that really describes me, that I feel like I need to control some of the people around me or the situations that are going on in my life. And so I think really all of us probably have a little bit of that need for control in us. But I think that um, one thing that we have all had to come face to face with, if you haven't before this year, definitely this year you've had to come face to face with the fact that we're really never in control, are we? That control is an illusion. I'm sorry if you didn't know that, and if I just burst your bubble, but really, even when we think we're in control, we're not in control of our circumstances or the people around us, and we weren't meant to control our circumstances or the people around us. And so, trying to control them, trying to control these things that we were never meant to control, can leave us exhausted. David says here that the Lord leads us, the Good Shepherd leads us into green pastures and still waters. Now these represent a place that's out of drought. It's out of the chaos, out of the exhaustion, out of the weariness of life. And what happens there? Verse 3 tells us, when we follow him into these green pastures and still waters, he restores my soul. This word restore can actually, it, it, in the original language, it actually has a much stronger meaning than our word restore. Um, it could mean something like reanimate or rebirth. So I kind of think of it like this. If you read it, he rejuvenates, he resuscitates, he resurrects my soul. It's closer to what the shepherd is doing for us here. So when we think of it like that, no amount of vacation or entertainment I don't care how long we binge watch something on Netflix, you know, thinking that that rest is going to fill us. No amount of recreation. No other shepherd can restore my soul like Jesus can. It's only found in the leading of the good shepherd. And then verse 3, he continues on. He leads me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Now, everything that we've read before this and everything we're going to read after this is is actually hinging on these two lines here because this is the how and the why of this passage. How he leads me in paths of righteousness. Why? For his name's sake. It doesn't take me long to, left to my own devices, to get off the paths of righteousness, right? I don't know if you've experienced that too, but it doesn't take me long to, to wander off the paths of righteousness and it's not about trying harder. I can think to myself, you know what, next time I'm going to get it right. Next time I'm going to try harder. I'm going to stay on the path of righteousness. 
I'm going to do better, but it's not about us trying harder or being more disciplined. Charles Spurgeon says it like this. He said, no one can trust providence or God till he distrusts himself. And no one can say the Lord is my shepherd until he has given up every idle notion that he can control himself or manage his own interests. So until we give up that illusion of control and rest in the leading of the good shepherd, we can't actually say the Lord is my shepherd. Jesus laid down his life for the sheep to get us to his righteousness. It's not about our righteousness. It's not about my righteousness. It's not about your ability to do good. None of this. If it is about those things, if it's about my righteousness or my ability to do good, none of this works. I don't find those green pastures and still waters. I don't find the paths of righteousness. But because he leads us in the paths of righteousness, why? For his name's sake, we can be confident that he will accomplish it. Anything that Jesus ever does for his name's sake, we can know it's going to happen because he will accomplish it for his name. He leads us, another thing we see in these two verses is he leads us in, he makes us lie down in green pastures, plural. He leads us in by still waters, plural. This is not a, a one-time rest. This is a part of a bigger cycle. And I'm pretty confident that if you have followed Jesus for any amount of time in your life, then you have experienced this cycle. There are times when you feel um, refreshed and restored in the Lord, and you can feel his presence next to you, and you know that you're in those green pastures. But then, as we're going to see in the next verse, David talks about these, this valley of the shadow of death. There are times that he leads us through difficult times. And so he does lead us to green pastures and besides still waters. But then he leads us through difficult times. And then he leads us, we're going to come back around to this rest and restoration. And the Bible doesn't sugarcoat the way things are going to go, right? James tells us, consider it all joy, my brothers, when you encounter various trials. He doesn't say if, he says when. And Jesus himself said, in this world you will face trouble. You will have tribulation. But fear not, for I have overcome the world. And so we know that we are going to go through these difficult times, but that brings us to the second reason that we can trust the shepherd, because he walks with us through the valley. We're not going to go through these difficult times alone. Verse 4 and 5 says, Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup runs over. Now, as we look at verse 4, we learn some things about this valley. It's called the valley of the shadow of death. And the psalmist could be talking about actual physical death here because when we are nearing death or when a loved one encounters death, it can be a dark time for us, right? It can be scary. But it could also be referring to just the shadow that sin, sin's curse, when it entered the world and, it, and death entered into the world, sin's curse spread its shadow across all of creation. And when that shadow falls across our lives, it can cause us to lose hope. We can think that we have been abandoned or forgotten. 
to experience what some poets actually call the dark night of the soul. And, you know, I think we tend to focus on the scariest word in that title, death, right? The valley of the shadow of death. We focus on that because we humans, we're kind of scared of the word death, aren't we? But I like what theologian John Phillips focuses on. He focuses on a different word, and in this quote he says, We note that this is only the valley of the shadow of death. The shadow of a dog cannot bite. The shadow of a sword cannot kill. The shadow of death cannot harm the child of God. You see, Jesus, when he died on the cross, he defeated death and the grave. He defeated the substance of the thing we fear. And so we don't need to to fear the shadow of the thing. If he's already gotten rid of the substance of the thing, we don't need to fear its shadow. And like the psalmist who says, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, we can say, I will fear no evil. And he says that because of two things. First of all, he tells the shepherd, because you are with me. I like the way the NLT translates this, you are close beside me. I love the picture of that. He is with us. Yes, he is close beside us. When you were small, think back to when you were younger and you were walking through maybe an unfamiliar area, a dark street or something. Didn't it make you feel better just to know that a trusted adult was close beside you? Didn't that calm some of your fears? Well, that's what the shepherd is telling us here. I am with you. I am close beside you. He is with us in the valley of the shadow of death. Any other shepherd we saw in John 10, any other shepherd will flee. No matter what we're placing our our security and our trust in, whether it be money or health or career or relationships, any other shepherd will abandon us in the valley. They can't carry you through this valley the way that Jesus can carry us through this valley. In fact, not only does Jesus never leave us, but he draws near to us in the valley so that we know that he is there. So first... He doesn't fear because you are with me, but then also your rod and your staff, they comfort me. He doesn't draw near us to the valley to to lecture us, to tell us, what are you afraid of? You know, how many times in my word did I say, don't fear, and you're still afraid? That's not what Jesus does. He doesn't draw near us to say, you know what, if you had just done this, you wouldn't even be in this valley. No, it says here that he draws near us to comfort us, and he comforts us with his rod and his staff. Now, if, if you've been in church for very long, then you may have heard, spare the rod, spoil the child. That's what I always grew up hearing, and that is true, and, but I always associated the rod with punishment, right? And, but here we see that the rod is comforting. How, how can the rod be comforting? Well, um, The rod that David is talking about here is something a shepherd would carry that's like a small club, and it was used to defend the sheep from attack from um, a predator, really. And David would know this well because in in, um, 1 Samuel, we see as a boy, he was a shepherd, and he actually had to defend his sheep from a bear and a lion. And he placed his life on the line to save those sheep, and so he understands greatly how the shepherd protects our lives with his rod. And then with his staff, he uses that to guide and to navigate his sheep through the dark valley. And I picture, you know, uh, uh, the sheep starting to wander off. 
and him just, you know, kind of hooking them and pulling them back in to the path. Or maybe using that staff to block a path that they don't need to walk down. And so if you're walking through a dark valley today, the shepherd is close beside you. He's leading you. He's comforting you. And he's guiding you and fighting for you as you navigate, as he navigates you through this difficult time. And then as we walk with the shepherd up out of this valley, verse 5 tells us, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. As we climb up out of this valley, we come to a table. And this isn't, you know, a, a table for us to sit down and have a light snack as we continue on our journey. This is a feasting table. And the shepherd is throwing a, a feast of victory and rejoicing for us. And it's not this, you know, it's not a private party. It's not just an intimate me with him. It is a, a feast in the presence of my enemies. For some reason, my enemies are here. Now, that may not make sense to us, uh, but remember also something else about our enemies. It's not, you know, that grumpy neighbor that lives next door or the mean boss or whatever. These are, our enemy is not flesh and blood. The Bible tells us it's principalities and powers. These are spiritual forces of darkness who have been rooting for and, and working towards our destruction in this valley that we just came through. And the shepherd, as he has led us through this valley, he has led us into victory over them. And so he throws us this feast. And then what does it say there? What does the, David say to the shepherd? He says, you anoint my head with oil. And so as you sit at this feast, the shepherd anoints your head with oil. And what he's saying to your enemies is that he isn't ashamed of you. Because in David's day, this is how the host of a feast would treat the guest of honor. And so the shepherd, the Lord, is telling all of your enemies that you are the guest of honor at this feast. He anoints your head with oil. He's not ashamed of you. The God of the universe is proclaiming that you are his treasured one. He has chosen you. He delights in you. Now, I don't say all of this to puff us up. Because remember, in verse 3, we looked at what all of this is about. This has everything to do with Jesus' righteousness. And it's for his name's sake. It has nothing to do with my righteousness. If it's based on me, I'm going to mess it up. I'm not going to be his treasured one for very long. But since it's based on the good shepherd, this is actually good news for us. Because the good shepherd has laid down his life for the sheep, I know that I'm secure. If we could get to a place where we could understand this relationship better, understand how he treasures us, understand that he delights in us, then I think it would give us joy, and it would increase, not only increase our joy, but it would increase our confidence in that relationship and increase our confidence in who we are in Christ. And maybe, like David, we would say, my cup runs over. My cup is filled with your mercy, Lord, and it's overflowing with your goodness. And that brings us to the third reason that we can trust the shepherd, because he pursues us with goodness and mercy. Verse 6 says, Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. You know, many times I think not only are we not listening to what the shepherd is saying to us, 
but we're listening to the enemy, what he's saying. Because remember, the enemy is at this feast, and he's watching here, and I think he sometimes comes up beside us and starts to whisper in our ear. And he might say things, sometimes he says things to me like, you know what, if God only knew the real you, he'd chase you down, and he's coming with punishment. Do you hear those footsteps behind you? Well, my friend, that is the judgment of the Lord right on your heels. I don't know, maybe you don't, maybe the enemy doesn't whisper those things to you, but sometimes I think those things. And the psalmist here in verse 6, though, he reminds us of the truth. The truth is, those footsteps that we hear behind us, that's the goodness of the Lord. And yes, he is pursuing us. He is chasing us down, but he's chasing us down with his mercy. He gives us goodness not because we are good, but because he is good. He gives us mercy not because we've done anything to deserve mercy, but because he is merciful. The goodness and mercy that he brings, it's about him, and it's for his name's sake. Now, the Bible tells us in Romans that we've all sinned. We have all fallen short. On our own, none of us can even find the path of righteousness. And what we deserve because of our sin is eternal separation from God. We are all in need of mercy. But Jesus, the good shepherd, he gave his life in my place and he gave his life in your place. His mercy paid my debt and it paid your debt. When I accepted Jesus Christ as my Savior, I became one of his sheep, and he became my shepherd. And like David, I can say, the Lord is my shepherd. If you are one of his sheep today, he has filled your cup with mercy, and he continues to pour. Not only did he not give us what we deserve, because we deserve eternal separation from God, but instead he gave us reconciliation with God. But then he also continues and he gives us what we don't deserve. He leads me. He walks beside you. He restores your soul. He anoints your head with oil. He lavishes his good gifts of grace on our lives. And your cup overflows with his goodness. Now in addition to all of that, Verse 6 tells us that he invites us into his presence forever. And so we've already seen that we've been walking with him now in his presence. But then he says, I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Now I'm going to ask you to close your eyes for just a minute. I want to give us an opportunity to respond to whatever the shepherd has been saying to us today. And I'm going to do that by asking a few questions. The first question is, is the Lord your shepherd? Have you ever asked Jesus Christ to be your Savior? If you've never given your life to Christ, let me encourage you to do that right now. There is goodness and mercy for the sinner, for the struggler, for the weary, the broken, the lonely, the empty, the desperate. He is pursuing you with his goodness and mercy this morning. He is inviting you into his presence. Trust the shepherd today. 
John 10, Jesus says, the good shepherd gives his life for his sheep. Jesus died on the cross to pay your sin debt, to reconcile you to God. If you're ready to receive his mercy this morning, it's as simple as A, B, C. Admit that you are a sinner. Believe that Jesus died and that God raised him from the dead for your sins. Confess him as Lord of your life. I'm going to say a prayer in just a second, and if that's something that you're ready to do this morning, just in your heart, in your head, say this prayer along with me from your heart. Lord, I know that I'm a sinner. I believe that Jesus died for my sins and that he came back to life. Please forgive me for my sins. Come into my life and save me. Become my shepherd today. Amen. Now, if you prayed that prayer, wherever you are, whether you're in the room here, whether you're watching live or watching later on online, let me encourage you to just text the word SAVED to the number on your screen. We would love to be able to rejoice, to celebrate this decision with you. Next question I want us to think about is, are you trying to control circumstances that are out of your control? Maybe the last several months have been filled with Let's call them unplanned green pastures and still waters. And by trying to control your circumstances, you've actually been fighting against the leading of the shepherd. He's been trying to lead you into rest and restoration that your soul needs, and you've been fighting against it. If that's you this morning, just, just trust him. Submit to his leading. Let go of that need for control. And let him provide that rest and restoration for you. Give that over to him. And then last question. Are you walking through a difficult season right now? Maybe this has been the darkest valley you've ever walked through. First of all, know that you haven't been forgotten or abandoned. The good shepherd is with you. He is walking next to you. He is in control and he is for you. He's there with you, comforting you, guiding you, and fighting for you. You can trust the shepherd. Now, if you're his sheep this morning, verse 6 is a promise to you. And so I just want to read verse 6 to us this morning, and then um, we'll pray and be done. Verse 6 says, Surely goodness and mercy shall follow you all the days of your life, and you will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Lord, thank you that you are the good shepherd. God, help us this morning to just take comfort in the leading that only you can provide for our lives, Lord, that you are walking with us, that you are leading us into those green pastures, to that rest and restoration. God, that we are your treasured ones. You delight in us, Lord. Help us to take comfort in all of that this morning as we go through whatever you are leading us into. Lord, help us to trust you no matter where you lead us. In Jesus' name, amen.